that would definitely be the starting point would be to look at the company document, whether it's a, a bylaws or, or an operating agreement that needs to have a plan that needs to spell out what's to happen in the event of the death of a spouse, of a, of a, of a partner, the incapacity or even divorce of a business partner. I mean, we don't want to find ourselves in business with an ex-spouse either. You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. The leaders and HR practitioners in a business may run into pitfalls when they have not given thought to the planning pieces of how a business will move forward. These plans can include items such as the practical next steps pieces of what happens when the owners, leaders of the company may no longer be able to lead and who is next to take the reins of the company. It may also include succession planning for different roles in the company by identifying the particular skills for that role and preparing certain individuals to perform those functions. And it could also include identifying the specific individuals to replace key operating functions as needed. This type of forward thinking is not limited to large, sophisticated companies, but can be a thoughtful and strategic way for any company to plan for the future. Today, my guest is both a friend and fellow colleague, Joy McNair. Joy is a licensed practicing attorney and owner of her own law firm from the McNair Law Group, PLC in the state of Texas. Her legal practice includes wills and trusts, estate planning, asset protection, and legacy planning. She's licensed to practice in Texas, Georgia, and the District of Columbia. Her law degree is from Howard University School of Law in D.C., and she has a master's of law from Georgetown University Law Center in DC with a concentration in taxation and a certificate in estate planning. She does have a busy practice here in Texas, but when she has free time, she enjoys attending concerts or the symphony with family and friends. Since my topic is to plan or not to plan, that is the question, I wanted to tap into Joy's thoughts on the matter, as she's one of my favorite advocates for having a good plan and could give insight to why employers and businesses in general should consider the benefits of planning. We had a great conversation, and so I hope you enjoy this Legal Skinny episode of To Plan or Not to Plan, That is the Question.
Welcome to the Legal Skinny Podcast, Joy. I'm so glad you could join me today. Oh, thanks so much for that introduction, Trisha. I've told you before how, how proud of you I am and how much I admire what you've been able to accomplish in this space. And I'm just glad to be part of it and to just be able to contribute what I can. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So I've uh, given my listeners a little bit, of course, background on your work, but go ahead and tell them a little bit about not just your work, but sort of kind of what led you down this path and this career choice. Sure, sure. So I, I host a lot of uh, the state planning workshops and I, I have this wise story that I like to share that a lot of my guests enjoy hearing. Um, and, and really the passion of mine moved back to, to childhood when I lost my father. Um, he was one of the seven astronauts that perished on board the Challenger space shuttle. And I was very young at the time, so I spent a great deal of time, uh, the majority of my life, experienced many of the things that we have to contend with when we lose a loved one. And so this is something that I've been, been exposed to for, for quite a ma- bit of, amount of time. And so I've, uh, I've seen it... Um, you know, as a um, firsthand, and I've also seen it um, as a professional working with families and knowing, you know, what happens when families um, get the planning correctly and when they don't. And uh, my father's story is more of a traditional sense of um, of estate planning, what people think about death and dying and transitioning their assets to the next generation. Um, but there's another aspect that a lot of people don't take enough time to consider, and that's incapacity. And um, that's where my mother's story plays a role. And um, she ended up, uh, several years ago now, she had to have an emergency craniotomy brain surgery. Um, she had developed a, an infection that traveled to her brain and it formed an abscess. And it required a major surgery to be released, a, a brain surgery to be released. And during the surgery, she had suffered respiratory failure. She had to be hooked up to a ventilator, um, followed by complications afterwards. She had swelling of the brain and was in a medical coma for three weeks and then had to go through neurological rehab for several months. And so during that time, she was she was incapacitated. It was completely unexpected to us, um, but she was not able to manage her finances. She couldn't manage her health care. There were various things that she unexpectedly was no longer able to do. Um, while it was a small period of time, it was still somebody needed to be able to step in there and take care of those matters for her. And fortunately, she, fortunately, she had the various documents that were required. Um, but during that process, the, the her physician commented on how grateful she was to see a family that had it together. She doesn't always see um, families that are so organized with their um, with their with their with their information and their decision making. And I um, just smiled and let her know that that's my life's work, helping families through what I like to call life's box of chocolates. If you recall from Forrest Gump, life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and that's absolutely true. I mean, so oftentimes we make plans for, for the good things, but we have to also have a plan in place in, in the event that something unfortunate happens, whether it's becoming incapacitated, not able to manage your legal and financial affairs. Um, but also um, for if you, be, if you when you pass away, we have to have a plan to transition. And I, I, I really like the topic that we're focusing on business owners here as well, because um, as a business owner myself, that's something we think about what's going to happen to our business, to our assets, to our staff. And so I'm very happy to be here to, to, to speak on that subject. But that's a little bit about my passion and how I got started here. Yeah, clearly 
you know, your story, uh, I'm, you know, we've known each other for, for quite a while now, uh, but your story, you know, giving you this purpose, it, it just seems so fitting joy that you do what you do. And I know that you, um, mm -hmm. you, you really can relate and help them through sort of, you know, what this looks like on the other end when you don't plan and how they can kind of take steps and really make a difference and what it looks like just, you know, in the overall picture and everyone that is involved when there is no plan and how, uh, how um, you know, how unfortunate that can be in certain circumstances. So today we're hoping that doesn't happen to anyone listening because we're going to talk about planning, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so from a, let's talk about, start with a broad perspective. So, uh, you know, depending on, depending on what state you're on, if you're listening, um, we're, we're both in Texas, so we'll just like start with from the te Texas perspective. Joy, from what is the issue that could happen or possible issues potentially for businesses that have, let's say, no plan, nothing in the bylaws, nothing in their uh, maybe limited liability company agreements talking about what would happen if one of the business owners should pass away or become incapacitated? Sure. Well, that's, that's a really good question. So on the, the, the broadest um, issue that we see a lot is access to access to the accounts. Um, it's in particular an issue if there's just one, a sole, a sole proprietor or a sole owner of the business. Um, when somebody passes away, accounts are frozen and nobody can access those accounts until you have to go through a court process known as probate. And so that process does take a bit of time to go through um, for the judge to be, be able to validate a will if there is one. If not, we have to go through a whole process for the court to be able to authorize an administrator to be able to access the accounts. In the meantime, there could be vendors, what's going to happen to the clients, um, what's going to happen, Are the, is, is the staff going to be able to be paid if there were, if there were staff on board? And so um, we see that issue a lot when we have um, um, really, really, it's a bigger issue when there's um, when there's just, just a sole business owner. And so that's one a big issue. Um, another issue we have to contend with is who who's going to manage the business, who's going to take over leadership. And a lot of that really depends on the structure of the business. Um, again, if it's a sole proprietor, um, is there somebody trained to, to, who, to, to be able to step up and take over management? Will they know where the accounts are? Will they know um, who to contact? Is there, a, is there a plan in place for notifying clients or customers, patients, whomever, about the, the either the, the death or incapacity of the of the business owner um, for professional services there's another layer of issues um, professional services such as law practices such as we have or medical practices if there's psychologists um, who have who are in private practice insurance a lot of those have to have special licensing um, for somebody to be able to step in and wind up that aspect because there's there's um, there's HIPAA if it's in the medical there's the attorney client privilege there's a lot of confidential information and so we need to make sure that somebody's able to stop in and wind up that practice and then be able to transition clients customers patients whatever the classification is so that they can find a new professional to be able to, to provide the services to them Another issue that we see as well um, with partnerships, um, that's, a, that's a big issue if there's more than one um, business owner and one person passes away. Um, what's going to happen, number one, to the business? Um, will the business owners suddenly find themselves in business with the family of the deceased? <laughs> right. Well, well that's not... 
not thought of usually at the beginning of a business. You think, well, I like, you know, so-and-so's wife or husband. All right. You know, we've had, you know, dinner together, but you don't think, oh my God, we're now making decisions about my business. You know, in the estate planning community, we always say a business um, needs to have a a prenuptial agreement, just like a marriage. Everything's great in the beginning. um, But then sometimes when situations change, you wish you would have spelled out things a little bit better. And so the same can be said for a business as well. We need to know what's going to happen. Is the, is the business owner, does it, do they want it to stay in the family, the business to stay in the family? Is there a family member that's able to step in? Or is there does, is the business or, or the, the business, the, the partners going to reacquire the business? And if so, how are they going to go about doing that? And so we need to, to have that spelled out, what's going to happen um, in that regards. But that's an issue when, the, when it's not, because like we said, we end up being in business, having unexpected business partners. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's you make a good point, right? So uh, sign those agreements when everyone's in love, <laughs> whether it's the business owners that are all starting the business together or they're at least in a you know happy place. Um, because, you know, uh, just like, you know, in the marriage issues, right? Just like you say, Joy, um, when that breakdown does happen, there's no renegotiating that. So whatever you left out, you left out. Mm-hmm. And it needs to happen. It needs to spell out both um, in the event of the death of the business owner or the incapacity, because that's something that, that can happen as well, just as easily. True, true. Good point. Good point. So, uh, so, so, okay. So we've talked about some of these problems that you can have. So now, you know, going forward and say there is no plan, where could they get started with the plan? Where should they look? I mean, uh, should they look to their company documents to get started or wh- where do you think that they should start if there is no plan? Sure. So that would be, that would definitely be the starting point would be to look at the company document, whether it's a, a bylaws or, or an operating agreement that needs to have a plan that needs to spell out what's to happen in the event of the death of a spouse, of a, of a, of a partner, the incapacity, or even divorce of a business partner. I mean, we don't want to find ourselves in business with an ex-spouse either. And so that would be the first place that we would look at. Um, from there, a lot of, a lot of my business owner clients look at, at doing buy-sell agreements as well. They want to make sure that perhaps the equity goes to the family and the business or the business partners can acquire the actual shares or interest in the business. And so a buy-sell agreement would spell that, would spell out those provisions. Um, and oftentimes they're funded by life insurance as well, so that there's some liquidity there to buy back the partner's interest. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's talk a little bit about that for people that aren't familiar with that. So uh, if the buy sell, so what what Joy's kind of referencing is there's some sort of agreement that, um, so say it's say it's two part, two, like say two members of an LLC, really really common here in Texas. Um, they're you know they're friends. They both are married. One of them passes away, or be, you know, um, and then the spouse, okay. Can the spouse's share of the business be bought out? And how does that work with life insurance is what you were saying is, Joy. Sure. Right. So, uh, right. So you, you, you frame that, you frame that very well. And so a lot of times they'll use the life insurance to have the liquidity there, to have the money there to be able to buy out um, for the, for, for the surviving business owners to buy the deceased business owner's share. So they can have the business, but the family can still have the, the value, the equity, the money there, the, the, the financial interests of the deceased business yeah. owner. 
So it can end up uh, taking care of everybody in that way, if you think about it. Absolutely. And then, and then from there, once we, once we establish the equity component, then we need to figure out, well, then who is it going to go to? How, and so that's when the the more traditional estate planning comes in, Um, whether that, whether it's a trust, I do think that most business owners need to have some form of trust. All business owners need to have some form of trust, whether it's a revocable or irrevocable. Those are, are beyond the scope of what we'll discuss today. That's a case-by-case analysis. Um, But business owners need to consider having some sort of trust that can really govern from that point who's going to receive their assets and the interest in their business. Um, Number one, it prevents it from having to go through the court process, from having accounts frozen, from from having limited access to the business. And then also they can control really who's going to receive their assets and in what amount, just to make sure that your life's work isn't squandered. You work really hard to build your business, to accomplish um, the, 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 the equity and the value that you have in business. And you want to make sure that that's protected and transition to your loved ones in the, 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 most, um, the most efficient and, and smoothest way possible. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you talk a little more about that, Joy, as to what steps need to be taken to get to the point where you need to trust? What What do you need to have? Do you need to have a certain amount of equity in the business? No, um, not necessarily. It's not based on it's not based on the amount of equity that you have or the value of an estate. Um, just by virtue of having a business, it's worth it to not have to go through that that probate process. Um, if it's that, if it's just a, maybe a small, a, a very small, a, a very small, maybe there's just a, a bank account and you can add somebody on it um, for a sole proprietor. But if there's an LLC, a corporation, any of those formal entities, it definitely would benefit from having some form of trust. And let's talk about if you have the buy-sell agreement and you have no insurance, the problem with that. How are you going to pay for it? Um, (laughs) Now, sometimes there is enough liquidity for for the partners to do that. But in a lot of cases, um, you know, if you're talking about buying somebody out at several hundred thousand or even several million dollars, um, the funds need to come from somewhere. And that's why um, the life insurance is usually coupled with that, just to make sure that there's that money there to be able to make that purchase. Yeah, that can be a, a a very bad misstep where it was good intentions that they would buy out the spouse, mm-hmm. but there's no money because and in order to get the money would require to basically, you know, liquid liquefy the business. So right, right, right. Uh, which would defeat the whole purpose of the person that wants the business to to move yeah. on and and allow them to go. So uh, and, that's, and so that's why it's important really to follow with follow through with all components of a plan. Um, a lot of times people will sign an agreement and they're they're excited because they're done, but there's there's oftentimes additional steps that you need to follow through, like funding a buy-sell agreement, whether it's life insurance or making sure that you have those funds allocated some way. Yeah, and I think that's all that's all really, you know, good solid starting places for for individuals. Do you think, Joy too, that they should uh, follow up with this plan to make sure it's still accurate a couple years after the business has started? Absolutely. That's something that needs to be looked at periodically. Um, I say at a minimum every three to five years, plans need to be revisited because relationships change. There could be new business owners that that are new partners that have been brought in. There could be partners that have stepped down. Um, And so you just need to make sure and then the value of the business can change. You have adequate amount of insurance to to fund the buy-sell as well. So that's something that would need to be revisited periodically. Yeah, that's a great point on the end. Certainly, if you get an insurance policy and it's too low and then the business takes off, but 
Um, all good things to be thinking about. On one last note, I wanted to kind of talk to you about this. And this is you and me, business owner to business owner, um, you know, and and me, you know, I deal with a lot more employers um, on a regular basis doing employment law versus, uh, you know, all the, all the different areas you do with wills and trusts in the states. Um, one concern that that recently has come up with planning that I think employers are running into, especially in the midst of COVID-19, is that all of a sudden employees um, aren't that would normally always be available to work are becoming unavailable to work for various reasons related to COVID-19, whether they have to take care of children or whether they are sick themselves or family members sick and they need to care for them. And we're talking about potentially key employees. Mm -hmm. um, kind of let's talk a little bit about what, what maybe businesses could do in the planning process to sort of rethink that. Sure. So I, I, I approach this from a from a, from from the perspective of an estate planning attorney, um, <laughs> and I, I I hope to not sound like I'm I'm admonishing anybody. Um, this comes from from a loving place, but um, really, and my, my my opinion is that really this should not necessarily be treated any different than pre-COVID. I, I understand that COVID has really brought brought a greater awareness, but in reality, um, COVID or not COVID, any key employee can become sick, become incapacitated, can pass away at any time. So we need to have some form of contingency plans in place for key employees anyway. Um, one, one, one thing that we're very big components of in my practice is really making sure that everything is systematized. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Michael Gerber's e-myth um, um, that believes in just systematizing businesses and having things documented. Um, that way, if the key employee is not able to, to, to perform, isn't able to come in for any reason, there's at least some documented instructions about how to do certain key functions. Of course, you can't replicate the employee in their in their entirety, but it could close some gaps or at least lessen the learning curve if you have to train somebody new on some of those key functions. And so that's something that we're big at in my office. And we've been um, really diligent about trying to go back and update those um, due to COVID because certain things change. But I think that's really big for a lot of businesses is just to make sure people know, number one, are very clear about what their roles and responsibility are abilities are and that there's something documented that that can that, that can be referenced i i think that's such good advice i think the also looking at when you're looking at a big span and we're talking about if you have an employer that has hundreds of employees versus an employer that has uh you know less than 100 employees or less than 50 employees and they're trying to figure out okay well you know where how do i know who are the key employees i kind of always say look to you know, if you had to replace these individuals right now, whether because of COVID or like you said, Joy, making a good point, uh, just just could occur anyway, mm -hmm. right? It Whether they leave, right, to the competitor or somewhere else or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to replace them right now, what is the learning curve to get someone else into that position? Um, and what is the, uh, the, the experience level that you need. So if there's not a lot of people out on the market with that experience level, is it going to be difficult for you to replace them? Mm -hmm. So how can you systemize that? Like you said, Joy, and sort of one, uh, one thing I would say with employers is for a planning perspective is to start with knowing what everybody does. Uh, mm -hmm. 
Because if you don't know what they do and then they're gone, it's just like juggling balls. Right. Because you're right. like, right, right. Well, I didn't know that Joe was handling very that. Clear job descriptions come into play too. Very clear job descriptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, um, you know, I've seen it where employers like, well, you know, Susie has so many hats. Susie's the office manager. Susie handles, you know, parts of the HR pieces. Susie has all these pieces. Should we have multiple job descriptions? No, like really at some point you got to go, this is what Susie does. She's not multiple people. Um, But could Susie be replaced by multiple people if you were in a pinch? You know what I mean? Maybe so. Right. Or maybe, or, or maybe in, for like for larger companies, um, different people can be cross trained on some of Susie's functions in case Susie's not able to be there. Yeah. So. And I, I think that plays into I in your planning theme as well as uh, you're always a planner. I know this of you. Planner. Uh, I love that about <laughs> you. Uh, you inspire all planning <laughs> all the time. Um, but I think with the with kind of going through and thinking that forward while they should have always been thinking it certainly more employers are now seeing oh my gosh like you know i didn't ever expect this and this is the employee that never takes any vacation right that employee that's the loyal employee they've been with you for 10 to 15 years all of a sudden you know their husband is sick or they're sick or something you know major is causing them not to be there in the workforce and um that forward thinking of how you're going to handle that situation could really make or break whether or not you're going to do well in the economy against your competitors if you're going to have that huge piece missing so it's not too late to start that planning now look at those job descriptions get get on it look at the job descriptions or document some steps or even have the employee just record do a, um, record their screen as they're performing some of the key functions just so that there's something documented on some of those key those key those key provisions yeah and what kind of experience you know really thinking about what kind of experience would be necessary if you were in a position of having to replace those individuals and it could be in a, a broader sense even in uh where you're not while you're always trying to plan for the worst, planning for the best. What if you what if you want to bring that employee up, right? And move them up in the company, then you still are going to have to replace them and you still need to know what they're doing and you still need to be able to go, okay, you know, we need these types of people. We're going to need this amount of time to get them up on learning curve mm-hmm. um, and, and these type of systems and the training and having a, a real visual picture of that until you wait till the moment when the person is gone because of it you know, um, a bad reason, or you're trying to bring them up, maybe put them in a higher management position because another position opens up, mm-hmm. you know, if you're already looking ahead going, you know, we're going to need at least three months lead time to get someone up to speed for this mm-hmm. position. You know, it can really help in the long term for you to overall plan. And so um, I think that kind of definitely, go ahead, Joy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, just just piggyback on what you're saying. I think it's very important to be realistic as well about what it's going to take to onboard an employee, especially in a key provision, as, uh, a key position as well. And so that's something that needs to be part of the, the overall plan. Are you thinking, you're thinking half half glass full is not the not the way to go? Go, oh, I could definitely get this person up to speed in two weeks, and it's much more difficult. And it's probably more of a six months job. I mean, just just understanding that. Yeah, I think being realistic in this point of view is is the only way to not put pressure on everybody, including you know the person that's trying to step into that role. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're almost setting it up for you know a failure position if you don't give them enough time for them to sort of grow. And um, and that's with any, of course, new employee, but certainly when you're trying to develop an employee to a new position or bring in someone that has experience and they just need the training to know 
how your company does it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being realistic is a, is a good thought. That's a good, that's a good point, Joy. <laughs> so this was like really great information. I loved our discussion on planning. I know you and I could go on and on and plan, but um, <laughs> I really enjoyed you joining me today. Do you mind if we do the legal skinny rundown before we wrap up? Sure. Okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. Beach or mountains? Beach for sure. I'd like to be on one right now. (laughs) Right. Elvis or the Beatles? Definitely the Beatles. Most influential book you've read? Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, One of my all time favorites is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's kind of cliche, but you got to love that book. Love that. Okay. Dead or alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Don't judge me for this one. Nikola <laughs> Tesla. I'm pretty nerdy and I'm just fascinated by his work. I would love to meet Tesla. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> okay. And then finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on planning for the future with a business? Oh, I think there's so much opportunity here um, for for business owners um, it, it, on so many different levels. I mean, there's a lot of a, a lot of tax planning opportunities that they can t- that they can benefit from. There's asset protection, um, protect making sure that your your business is protected from your personal life and that your personal life is protected from your business. Um, there's a lot of different things that we can do in the asset protection arena for business owners, and um, and, and then just the, the session planning, making sure that your business has an estate plan and can properly transition in the event that you become incapacitated or pass away. There's just a lot of different things that business owners can do and, and really should consider it, especially in these uncertain times where they're making it a, a um, higher up on their priority list to, to, to visit because there's so much they can do. Yeah, definitely. And if anyone wants to get in contact with you, how can they do that? Oh, they can call my office at 281-407-9830. It's 281 281-407- 407 or they can email support at mcnairlawgroup.com and um, somebody from my team will be happy to assist them. Thanks again, Joy, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And that's the legal skinny on to plan or not to plan. That is the question. Thanks, Joy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also, check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember... This is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.